Hi, Tessa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited to be a part of this today. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I was excited when I saw your email come through and I thought to myself, the job doctor, what is this? Interesting name, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, So tell me a little bit about what got you started in this arena and, and what is the job doctor? Well, in short, I worked in HR for 25 years, you know, just another HR person working in a senior company doing 60 hours a week. And one day I said, you know what, I think I'm getting older and I want to try some other things that I've always said I wanted to do. And I launched into my own business. And during the pandemic, I like everyone else was locked in the house, which is a very dangerous thing for someone like me because I just love to do things. And the next thing you knew, I had a website built and I decided to call myself The Job Doctor and I went live with this business called The Job Doctor. I figured, I've seen thousands of careers behind the scenes. Nobody thinks that HR sees all this rich data, but we do. We get to hear all the behind the scenes that goes on with managers and with the CEO and then with the employee. And I thought, people are making the same mistakes over and over, and I want to help them. So I went to the other side of the, the equation and said, I'm going to work the other side of the desk. And the day I turned on the job doctor, I was full. It was just one of those miraculous things. My daughter posted me on TikTok. I didn't know how to even log in. And a few days later, my son called and said, is this possible, mom? My girlfriend said she saw you on her TikTok for you page. And I said, oh, I forgot to tell you, we posted a few things. And he goes, you got to take a look at your profile. And I went in and looked and three days later, we had 10,000 followers. And thus began the job doctor in earnest. Oh my goodness. So I would love to hear what got you interested in people and in this arena of human resources? Interestingly enough, I did not always like human resources. I didn't even aspire to do that. I thought that I was going to be a stay-at-home parent until I ended up getting divorced, and unexpectedly so, and having three children that I had to provide for. So I went into HR initially just on a lark. I was was the secretary to Stephen R. Covey's uh, company. And which is really great that I got to work with such a a leadership guru. But one day I applied for a job because it made more money and it was a facilities manager and I got the job and my manager, the CEO came to me and he said, Tessa, I just have one thing to say. Uh, Is your ladder leaned against the right wall? And I had to ask him to explain that. And he said, he said, when you climb that ladder, is that really what you want to do and be? And I said, well, I don't know. It makes a lot of money. You know, I'll make more money. I'll get like a $5 an hour raise. And he said, wrong reason. And he asked me to think about what I was good at and what my gifts were. And it led me to turning down that position and staying in human resources because I felt like I had a gift with people. and I really liked working with people. And that 20 plus year journey took me, you know, up the ladder in lots of different HR roles, but took me eventually into a Fortune 50 company. And uh, from there took me to, I worked at Vivint Solar, which was basically 4,000 millennials and 10 adults in the room, which was the last job that I had. And 
absolutely was the finest training I ever could have had to understand how a younger generation is thinking. And that was my training for five or six years, craziest stories that uh, I think anybody could ever imagine, you know, from breaking up drug rings to uh, telling people, no, you cannot bring a tiger in the building to a whole bunch of other crazy stories. <laughs> made me oh, my goodness. Solid um, HR professional and has really set the tone for what I do as the job doctor today. Wow. Wow. I would love for you to write a book on the stories that you encountered or even a, even um, on your podcast. I'm sure people would love to be entertained by all the craziness. That's amazing. Well, they are the craziest stories, including people renting out company housing on the side and putting masses of people in our housing so that they could earn more money, et cetera, et cetera. It was pretty crazy place to work, and I loved it. So prior to the TikTok explosion, which I do want to get into, you had been in HR and as, a, as a, an owner of a company, you know, been dealing with employees for 18 years. I would love for you to sort of go into what you see as this, there's a seismic shift I feel happening with younger employees mm-hmm. versus older ones. And I would love your take on what what you think is happening and how do you find people that are willing to work hard? Because I, I do find that it is harder and harder to find talent like that. I I have a philosophy. I really think, I think it's almost every person's deepest desires to feel needed at work. And so if you go back to that basic, basic thing, what I think is happening is that a younger generation feels, and and I'm, you know, of course, mixing them all in together, which isn't going to get a true, true statement, but I believe that it is feeling like I'm just a cog in the wheel and I want to be treated like a human being. Now, when I first got in, I was a single mother of three that was difficult to build a career under those circumstances. I didn't have a lot of help. And if I had known I had a choice of how to work or how to talk to my employer or how I could set boundaries for myself, I think I would have had a better experience. I just slogged it out. But a younger generation, I think, is also suffering, and all of us to some degree, from burnout. And if you go to the roots of burnout and study it, it really is a lack of control. It's feeling a lack of control in the workplace. And I believe that everybody can gain some control back. And once you start doing that and understand how to do it, I think you can be happier. And I just don't think the youngest of our generations in the workplace has been taught or knows how to do that yet. And why do you think that is? Because it's not not being taught in schools or... I I don't think... I don't think it's been taught in schools. And if you think about... We used to spend a lot of time training, for instance. It used to be really long-term thinking in general. We used to be looking for, you know, a pension and retirement, and then you fast forward, and then it's just a house, and then you go again, and it's urban comfort, and then you go to the, the newest generation. It's like, I can't even pay my bill tomorrow. So we've condensed from long-term to short-term thinking, but that is showing up in training as well. We used to be, we'd train for days, you know, when I was first in business. We'd go to a four-day training event. You are lucky to get the attention span for a minute now. And so I believe that the greatest problem or the greatest training that's needed is how can we talk and get comfortable with conflict? How do we deal with conflict in the workplace and talk to each other 
because I call Gen Z the bye-bye generation. I did a poll and 94% of them said that they would just as soon leave the workplace as bring up that there's a problem, which is really interesting because we certainly couldn't get away with that in a relationship and make it work. So it's happening in the workplace. And I just think this aversion to conflict and not knowing how to deal with it and then having it on steroids because we've been away from each other for several years has just created this perfect storm. You're totally right. I mean, I see the gamut of people that have come through our doors or other founders I talk to or other just frankly women working. And you're so right about the fact that someone will rather just quit and find something else until then then deal with the challenges that people challenges, personality challenges. I mean, there's quite um, an interesting mix when you get someone in their 20s working with someone in their 50s and what the woman in their 50s had to I'm not saying that behavior was okay, but certain behaviors had to be adapted to like make it in a sea of men. And now that no longer applies. And they're like, why is this woman such a bully? Yeah. The the rules have changed right out from under us. For me, it was just suck it up and do it. Get it done or die trying. And that is not today's kind of perception of how to do it. And I have to say, I'm not for or against anybody. And by the way, I'm also not trying to group everybody into the same group, but just trying to create some, some discussion around some themes that I'm seeing. And I really believe that when we begin to learn how to talk to each other, and, and especially as we teach employees how to be a partner in the business, instead of expecting your manager to be your life coach and read your mind and think, you know, oh, I know they're full. I shouldn't give them any more work <laughs> or be able to have a conversation about where I want my career to go and what what's what I need and create boundaries. Until we can do that, we're creating a revolving door right now of just people go- moving in and out of companies. And I talk a lot about red zone, green zone, and everybody's chasing the green zone. The problem is green zone never happens until you pass through a red zone, but our, our people today are wanting in large part to skip over the red zone and just get to the good stuff. And it's, it's the red zone. It's going to figuring out how do we make it better? How do we fix the process when a bunch of people leave? How do we reorganize and make this work that actually makes us the kind of employees and the kind of people that are resilient? And so it's a boy, it's just really interesting to watch it. Oh, I'm sure it's fascinating because you're sitting on the outside seeing so much of it that you get a, a great panoply of, of different, the different rages and ages of people and, and their tendencies. I have six kids too, by the way, six kids who are in the workforce. And we have these wonderful debates over dinner about what's happening. And it, it also helps me try and understand both sides and, and try and bring people together again, which is ultimately my goal is cr- Help, helping people become partners again, as opposed to being on opposite sides of the fence. I'm in awe. I bow down to you. Six kids. That's incredible. They did not all come out of my uterus, but yes, six kids. <laughs> and I claim all of them. I love it. As someone who just had her fourth and hates being pregnant and now wants another baby, I applaud you. But my husband said, we are closed. We are moving on with our lives. We are done bearing children. Please stop having children. Um, I would love to go back. You mentioned you were single mother, three kids. Mm, and yeah. it, like you said, it was shut up and do your work. So 
take me back to that time period and how you had to, what did you have to arm yourself with to get through that and, and thrive or, or you know, not at thrive? At the time, I just did what I had to do. But I think back on that time and I cannot believe I made it through. First of all, I had no college degree. I had a job that could not make the house payment that we had. And I remember being in bed one night and just just like saying a prayer to the universe or any God that would listen. And I said, I will work hard, but please help me pay my bills. Keep my kids in a stable environment so we can keep a roof over our heads and I can make it look easy enough for them so that their lives don't have to get any more complicated. At the time, my husband had left me for another man, which in hindsight, you know, that wasn't the hardest part, but I was trying to deal emotionally with that at the time as well and realizing our family was going to be a very modern family and I had to figure out how to navigate all of that in a very Christian society and and community. So I uh, decided that I was going to just, I was working uh, for Stephen R. Covey, how lucky, leadership guru. And I was armed with so many rich things about being uh, a leader. And I stayed there and I was able to work my way up HR. I thought, you know what? I can talk to people. I can type. Uh, let's make a run at this. And that's about all I had uh, going for me at the time. And I just worked really, really hard and found my space in HR. So I went from benefits manager to recruiter to, and just moved up the chain until one day I found myself as the head of HR in a Fortune 50 company and thought, wow, um, I don't know how it happened, but here I am. And some of them were lucky breaks and some of them were good companies that I picked and some of it was just really, really hard work. But I was able to eke out a really good living for my kids and provide them some stability. I was able to pay off a house at age 40, which I think is incredible, but it's because there were a lot of sacrifices made. I drove the oldest, most beater forerunner for so many years, had 250,000 miles on it. I just didn't want to spend any money, but here we are. So how long did you allow that timeline to occur for? And I asked that because again, you know, I meet so many people and it's, you know, I want to have, be rich in a month, a week, six months, a year. And it's kind of like, uh, I wish I knew that shortcut, but I don't. I wish I could interview someone that would tell me all the all the goods on how to do that. So, you know, did you innately know this isn't going to happen overnight, or it was what what was going through your mind at the time? No, I knew, I knew nothing. I knew that I wanted. Yeah, you know, I sat down when I became single and I thought, what is what are the two most important things? Because I figured out pretty quickly, I can't be all things to all people. What are the two things if I could teach my kids I want them to know? I want them to know that they're loved. I want them to know consequences to actions. You know, when you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other. So I ended up saying, okay, everything I do for my kids has to go towards that end. And part of that was working hard to show them when you work hard, the rewards that can come. And I figured that not just telling them about it, by teach, but teaching them through example was really important. I never expected to have my bills paid. I never expected to have a really good job. I just knew that I could put food on the table if I worked hard and, um, and picked good companies. So it started out very simple. 
And it got more mature. My thinking around this got much more mature as I rose up because I could see, again, how people were not using the money the company gave them, even if they were very, very, you know, a modest job. They weren't taking advantage of a company match in a 401k or an HSA. And I started to talk more about this to other people. So by the time that I was on my own and actually I, I made it's the wrong word, but kind of got to a point that I didn't have to worry so much anymore. I, I went back to my roots and said, I need to teach people how they can avoid a lot of the, the, the holes I stepped in, both financially and for building a career, because I made the same mistakes that everybody else makes on my way up as well. But I had the added advantage of seeing probably 10,000 other careers behind the scenes. And that is really valuable when you can see what's actually happening and where those mistakes are and said, I'm going to, I'm going to do something to make a difference. So let's fast forward. You probably weren't thinking to yourself, I need to be on TikTok, but your daughter (laughs) saw, what did she see that she thought, oh, my, my mom's going to be good for this. She just said, your stuff's so good, mom. Your stuff's so good. And every time I come to you for advice, you tell me the script to use or how to say it. And it's like you're a psychic. It, they come back. My manager comes back exactly the way you said they would and say the exact same things you said they would. And it works out. How do you do that every single time? And I said, well, I guess I've just, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. So I know how it plays out most of the time. And I didn't, I really had no intentions to be an influencer whatsoever, but she posted it because she thought the stuff was good. And there we were, we just were off to the races. I've been, on average, I get about a thousand new followers a day since I started. You know, it really did open the the door for books, uh, the book with HarperCollins that came out a few months ago, uh, morning television, a lot of writing and a lot of, um, being guests and, and, and meeting a lot of other wonderful people. And so really social media, the thing I told my kids to stay off of most of their life, like get off that thing, turn off your phones. It's so ironic that it's the thing that actually made my career. I'm, I'm the most unlikely influencer on the planet, I think. But that's probably what makes it the most refreshing. Maybe. I don't know. I certainly don't care um, when I'm on. People, you know, you know, people can be so cruel and say mean things. And I honestly will have people say, you need to put on some makeup today. And I'm like, you know what? You are following the wrong gal if you are looking for someone pretty. Please move on. Uh, you know, yeah. I will talk when I have something to say or value to add. And fortunately, enough people have felt like it suits what they're after that I can lose the few that need somebody really pretty to look at. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So with the newfound, I guess, awareness and success of TikTok, you mentioned the book, which I, I do want to talk about. Has it made you 
sort of say to hell with the old way of doing things. I'm going to, I'm going to do the new way or, you know, where is, how has your mindset changed as far as your business uh, with what now happens to people on TikTok and how fast that can go? Oh yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a straight up disaster, really, when you think about <laughs> my poor husband comes home and I'm like, what if? He goes, if you say what if one more time, because something happened when I hit 50. For much of my life, I played it fairly safe. I didn't want to make too many mistakes. You know, I was really concerned about making sure we had a stable life, stable home, all of those things. And when I hit 50, I was unafraid of everything. I put jetpacks on my feet, uh, you know, water skiing and would fly in the air and do tricks that the kids wouldn't even try. They'd say, you go first. Okay, I'll do it. I tried so many crazy things. I sung in a band. I, I, I tried to monetize differently and I have nothing to lose at this point to, to experiment and try and go with my gut and say, I think there's a better way to do this. And so it's really shown up in my business. And there's been some ideas that have worked beautifully, like Rent My Brain. That idea, day one, had traction. And and I had a lot of people want to do that. And then as I get more creative, I've had a few losers. Like I had so many people say, I wish you'd give this message to my manager. So I said, okay, for so much money, you can, I'll call your manager and tell them what you want me to tell them. That idea didn't work very well. So I just try things. I'm just unafraid to try to fail a little bit. I can't even imagine where I would have been in life had I had that attitude earlier. I wish I had been that brave when I hit 40. I really do. I think I could have done some fantastic, amazing things. And now I just have to crunch it all into the latter half of my life, which is fine. It makes me feel alive. But I wish I had been more experimental. Yeah. I was just listening to a podcast with Gwyneth Paltrow and she was saying, when you turn 40, you know, the things that happen, whether you're more comfortable in your own skin or you stop caring what other people think, it sounds similar to what you're saying. Is there, is there, from your point of view, is there tips you could give someone listening under 40 that if they are scared, like you mentioned you were, that would potentially make them more fearless? Well, I would say start small. Uh, you know, it could be even the conversation in the car with coworkers where they say, hey, where should we go eat? If you're afraid to speak up, start there. Give an opinion. That's, you know, start small. And then go bigger. Uh, when your manager has uh, a question, says, hey, what do you think, team? How should we do this? Feel free to throw out an idea. And then you get a little bigger and get a little riskier. You can then advocate for yourself and for a pay range or a title change or additional responsibilities that can get you somewhere. And you just keep notching it up a step at a time until you feel free enough that you really train your brain to understand, I can ask for what I want. I can, I can not only ask for what I want, but oftentimes I'm going to get it. If I don't ask, for sure I won't get it. And I, I really think it's just a process of baby steps that train your brain to, to get to a point that you can see the world as something that you can take part of and, and really have anything that you want within reason. Within reason. This is true. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into your book, The Unspoken Truths for Career Success. It came out just very recently. Who is this book for and why should someone and what, you know, what is someone going to get out of it? 
Mm. This is this book is for the younger me. This is the book I wish had been around when I was trying to build my career. And uh, it's the most practical truth-telling book that I've seen on careers. And I wrote it because it didn't exist. So many books are long on theory and they'll take one theory and just blow it out for the whole book. This is a book that says, oh, let me, let me take it by chapter say this, not that, do this, not that, and takes people through with stories and out of my own career, by the way, that are very uh, self-deprecating even at times. But I want people to understand and get straight to the truth of the matter. And I think sometimes my experience has been, you can tell people, well, you need to be more bold, but nobody knows what that means until you actually show stories and give them the scripts to use. And I do think that's part of the magic of the TikTok is that I tell people exactly what it looks like when it doesn't sound right, let's say asking for a raise, and what it looks like to say it the right way. So that's what you can expect from the book is anything around power, pay, promotions, uh, whether you should stay or leave at a company and all the choices that exist in between those two. And uh, politics of a company and how those can benefit you. I speak about all of that in the book. It's not a book that's meant to be read from cover to cover. I hope people go to the chapter they need and read it and apply it. So over the course of your years, what is the worst thing you've seen an employee do that sets themselves back? And what's the worst thing you've seen a manager do that, you know, ruins relationships with mm. with employees? Uh, well, I'll go backwards. For a manager, I think the one that comes to mind, there's several things, but the one I hear about the most is being a micromanager. And I can speak to this because I was a micromanager. I had one of my uh, team members come to me and say, basically, you're a micromanager, you suck. Although they said it very, very differently from that. That was the crux of the message. The, the unfortunate part about being a micromanager is this. When you keep asking your people to redo work that you've asked them to do, you're training them not to use their brain, which is really dangerous because what ultimately happens is you will never get a product better than what's in your own brain. And that ought to scare the heck out of any manager that's listening because you're losing the richness of an entire team. You're training them not to trust their instincts and not to use the gifts that they have. So that would be the number one thing that I would say from a management perspective shuts down people. And for people, I would say probably one of the big mistakes that I see people make over and over and over again is that they somehow expect their manager to know when they're full, when they are, you know, have too much on their plate. And instead of addressing it, they assume their manager has a magic eight ball and can read, you know, that they're full. And then they choose to leave a company and they stay quiet. Now, quiet, quiet always leads to quit. But when you can have the right kinds of conversation with your manager, and I think that's where the problem lies, is they don't know how to have that conversation. And it clue, it does not start with, I'm full, I have too much work on my plate. But I think when you get aligned with your manager on what the top priorities are, and the second and the third priorities, and you can train your manager to with you to kind of let things drop off and pick the top priorities and stay in alignment, I actually think it uh, accelerates one's satisfaction and their ability to get the most important stuff done. Because a lot of us just work really hard. I did this, work really hard and work 60 hours a week and get tired. 
and we're not necessarily working on anything the company actually cares about. And that's a big problem. It's so fascinating to hear you say that because I feel like I just want to pick your brain offline, to be honest, which I might do after this podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So where can everyone uh, get this book? Because I'm going to get it for all, you know, for some, some key people on my team, but would love to hear. Yes, they can buy it anywhere books are sold, but Amazon and Barnes and Noble are probably the two most popular places to get it. And they can hear more if they like the concepts I do, uh, the Job Doctor is in podcast and what we do. I take real callers with real problems and we dissect them on air and actually talk through what they should do, what they should say, what their choices are. And I think because so many of the problems we all have at in our workplace are so similar, it's incredibly helpful to listen in on somebody else's problems. And so I would invite people to join me there and they can find that on Apple or Spotify. I love that. I'm tuning in. Um, Before we wrap, uh, two questions I ask all my guests is what was, what is one thing we'd be surprised to know about you? And the second one is do you have any advice you either learned the hard way or someone gave to you that was actually helpful? Mm. People would be surprised to know that I was a very industrious youngster and I did singing telegrams for a living when I and dressed up in a chicken suit when I was 15 years old. So that was the way that I earned money and could have a flexible job. And I think people would find that funny knowing me today. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. And uh, something, what was the second question? A piece of good advice that you either learned through your own work or someone gave to you that you would love to relay. Mm, okay. All right. You know, so I heard this. I don't even know who to attribute it to, but I heard it once and it stuck. When who you is is what you do, then when you don't, you ain't. And when I left corporate America, it was incredibly difficult on me for a while because I was an executive and, you know, I got to go have all the great front row basketball seats and the concert seats. And I didn't think that my ego was tied into my title. But it was, and it was a difficult transition for me. So I guess the advice would be, you know, learn to love who you are and the gifts that you have and the gifts that you would have been given um, and not tie that and not tie your value to what you make at a job or what you do for a job. I think it's really, really important. There will come a time when you have to stand on just who you are, not all the trappings that come with your work or your job. And that has been something that's been incredibly useful to me. I love that. That is powerful. It's true. So many people are just thinking that they're only worth everything that surrounds them, but it is who they are. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, just name all the handles, Instagram, TikTok, all the places people can find you. They can find me on uh, Job Dr. Tessa just about anywhere. (laughs) I'm ubiquitous. They can find me on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, barely on Twitter, but I'm starting to do a little bit more with Twitter and they can find my website at thejobdoctor.com as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tessa, for everything you you do for everybody and also for joining me today. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy 
way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.